we were, uh, all of us, we were struggling this morning getting things to work, and but they figured it out, so I appreciate our teenagers back there working. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's go to James chapter 2. All right, James chapter 2. This one on. We've been studying in the book of James. And um, bump me down a little bit. We've been studying in the book of James in our, in our life group time, reading through the book, or not life group, but discipleship group time. And um, it's just been a blessing to spend the last week or so here in the book of James. And uh, one of my favorite books. Uh, just We just got back from a trip. Uh, we were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and just got back a few days ago. We were with some family of ours celebrating uh, Leslie's mom's 60th birthday. And uh, we were walking through Gatlinburg with our, our whole family, okay? And if you guys have been there, you know what Gatlinburg's like. It's just a, a long stretch of road with shops and restaurants and things. So we're just walking through, enjoying the day. And um, I said something to Cameron, our, our youngest boy, he's nine years old. I said something to him, and he said something back to me that was not appropriate. Okay, he said it in a way that, that wasn't uh, respectful. And so we always try to use these moments um, in our kids' lives to give them the gospel. And we don't want to just... Uh, say, hey, you know, that was wrong. Don't talk to me like that. We want to give them a a reason. And we use that as to try to disciple them. And so um, we had to have a conversation, just just he and I, the family went ahead and me and Cameron stayed back and sat on, on a bench for about 20 minutes having a conversation just about his his attitude and the way he reacts and the way he responds sometimes, just trying to teach him and help him. And he made a statement that was, it kind of took me by surprise that it came out of a nine-year-old's mouth. And he said, he said to me, he said, Dad, I just don't feel like the Holy Spirit is making a difference in my life. And so that was interesting. So we got to talk about what that, what that means and what that looks like. And how, you know, it's a, it's a process, you know, we're on a journey and it's called the process of sanctification that, you know, the Lord teaches us and we're hard headed and stubborn and we're sinners and we, we don't always get it right the first time, you know, but, uh, and just try to encourage him that I have seen an, an improvement in him and I've seen the Lord working in his life, but it was just a, a, a sweet, sweet moment. And uh, I thought about that conversation, and then I thought about this passage here in the book of James, and thought, you know, when you come to faith in Christ, okay, when you trust the Lord as your Savior, you come to faith in Christ, your, your present life, okay, or your, your latter life should be different. It should look different than your former life. You know, when Christ transform you, transforms you, you're going to be different. You know, you're going to look different, act different. You're going to begin to speak differently. Uh, And so Christ really does make a difference. So what James is going to show us is in order to have true faith or to know that we have true faith, 
we look at our lives here to see if there's been transformation. And I think that's an important question for all of us to ask. Even those of us who have grown up in church and maybe said a prayer at a young age. But has there been a transformation? You know, has, has Christ made a difference in my life? So this is what I want to do in our time together this morning. I want to show you what true saving faith is and talk about a faith that works. Okay, so I want to show you as we go through here, I want to show you two kinds of false faith. And uh, it's going to be a dead faith and a demonic faith. And then we're going to look at a dynamic faith, which is true faith. Okay, so I, uh, I want to read through this. That way you can assess whether you're a believer or not. Okay, so James chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look at these kinds of faith that we possess. Look at uh, beginning with verse 14. All right, so James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. The Bible says this, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? And so what he's saying here is, you know, he's giving this scenario, okay, in verse 14. What profit is it if you say you have faith, but you don't have works to follow that? And then he gives this little story here of this person coming to your door, and they're in need of clothes, and they're in need of food, and you can see that they need to be warmed. And you just say to them, hey, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them anything to meet their need. He's saying, you know, what good is that? There's no profit to that. Verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you again for this day and for your word. And uh, just pray that you would help us today as we study this passage together. God, ask that you would give us understanding and that the Holy Spirit of God would truly convict us and help us. And uh, Lord, again, if there's someone here that needs to be saved, God, we pray that you would save them. Whatever needs we have, we pray that they would be met today. And uh, again, we'll thank you for what you do. We love you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to show you three kinds of faith. The first one is this. It's a dead faith. All right, a dead faith. So you say, what do you mean by a dead faith? This is a faith that isn't followed up by works. Uh, So what he's talking about here is lip service Christianity. Okay, so people who profess to know Christ, but inside their heart has never really been transformed by this message of the gospel. So these are people who would say, yes, I have faith, but it's really just lip service. There's, there's been no change in their life. And uh, so what James does is he brings out, again, this same fictitious character that he's already used at the beginning of chapter 2. And here, to get, here it is again in verse 15. Hey, hey, Rays, can you bump this down a little bit more? Thank you. Uh, verse 15, the Bible says this, if a brother or sister be naked... And destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? So, what's interesting about these three words that we see here—peace, warmed, 
filled. These are all commands that this uh, person is giving this person in need. And so what this does is it gives the perception that this person is a Christian and actually that he knows like what's best. And he even knows like how he can help this guy. And uh, so he, he says here, if your faith doesn't lead to action, then your faith, it's, it's not faith at all. Now, let me say something here just before we really get into it. James is not arguing here for, for uh, works-based salvation, okay? We don't believe that. We don't believe that you're saved by works. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people who believe this book shouldn't even be in the Bible. I was just telling some people over here before the service, uh, we were just talking, and I said, yeah, there's some people who, who think that James shouldn't even be in the Bible because they can't comprehend how faith and works come together. And so they, a lot of people just dismiss it. But he's, he's not arguing for this works-based salvation. Uh, you know, some people say that James is, is saying that you have to work to be saved, but he's not saying that. He's not even arguing for works against faith. Here's what he's arguing. He's arguing against a dead faith, okay, and a dynamic faith or a, or a real faith. So he's trying to lay this, this thought, okay, and this, really this doctrine of there is a difference between a dead faith and a living faith or a real faith. Uh, and so that's what he's talking about here. And, and what he says here is this. You can actually have the words right. You can actually know the, the right thing to say. You can know the right thing to do. But if you're not living out those things, the fact that you're not working for the Lord is proof that you may not know the Lord. Okay, and so that's what he's talking about here in this passage. So what, what good is it? We look at this story and we say, what good is it to identify a need in life and not meet it? What good is it to recognize that someone may be hurting and not help them? So the problem with faith, when I think about faith, is that we can't see faith. Would you agree with that? I mean, faith isn't really something that, that you can see. It's just like if you go on a diet, okay, and you start counting calories. Now, I understand you read the labels and you know how many calories, but when you look at a piece of food, you can't actually see the calories, right? The, a, a calorie is not something that you can see. But what you know about calories is you know the result of eating too many calories, right? If you have too many calories, then those calories manifest themselves in ways that we don't like, right? And so that's what faith is. Faith is like calories, probably a stupid example, but faith is invisible, okay? You can't really see faith, but you can see the manifestation of faith or faithfulness in a person's life. Because if someone truly has saving faith, then that faith is going to produce works. You're going to see people working for the Lord. You're going to see a difference. So here's what uh, Jesus says, you know, when you go through the woods, okay, and you see a tree, uh, a lot of times, you know, you may not know what kind of tree that is from its leaves, but if you wait long enough, you'll be able to tell why, because of the fruit that it produces, right? And just like a tree would bear fruit, a Christian life should also bear fruit. So you shouldn't be a Christian in name only, you should validate your profession with action. So the first thing is dead faith. And there might be someone here uh, this morning who, who may say, you know what, I said a prayer, I walked an aisle, 
but, you know, I don't really live like I should now. Uh, you know, I'm involved in things that, you know, I shouldn't be involved in. And I would maybe question, not in a judgmental way, but just looking at fruit, I would maybe question whether or not you truly know the Lord. Because James says here that the works of your life really validate the decision that you made. Okay, so we see a dead faith. Number two, we see a demonic faith. Uh, Look at verse 19 in the book of James, just the next verse down. He says this, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now, this is kind of interesting to think about, but did you know that, that demons have faith in God? Have you ever thought about that? Like, demons actually have faith in God. Uh, demons uh, have faith. In fact, demons have a better faith than those with dead faith because they have an emotion attached to it. Uh, look at what the text says. They have faith and they what? What's the word? Tremble. Right? And, and this word tremble, it's an interesting word. Uh, it basically means like the hairs uh, on your arm that stand up if you have goosebumps because of uh, you're in fear, you're afraid of something, or you're scared. And so that's what that, that word there literally means. So the natural question that I have is this. When I read this, why are they trembling? You know, why, why are they fearful? What do you think? Audience participation. Why would demons believe and tremble? Huh? Yeah, they know the power of God, right? They know his power. They, they know who God is. They know what he can do, and ultimately, they, they really know, know their end. And so, uh, so, so they're fearful. They tremble in fear. Uh, this is, again, just follow this logic. We could say demons are not atheists, right? They know that there's a God. Uh, they're not even agnostics. They know Jesus, they know, they know he's God. We see that all through Scripture. And I think this is kind of interesting to think about, too. What's fascinating about the Gospels is as you read them, some of the first people that acknowledge Jesus for who he really is is not people at all, but it's demons, right? I mean, you see that all through the New Testament. Uh, hey, they, they know who this is. They know why he's here. And like uh, Karen said, they know the power that he has. Uh, This is uh, something to think about, too. Satan is actually a systematic theologian. You ever think about that? Satan is a theologian. Satan knows his Bible. Satan can quote Scripture. Now, he twists Scripture, but he can quote it, right? Satan knows more Scripture than you you and I do. Uh, He has it memorized. Uh, He can debate doctrine with you if he wants. Uh, He knows all these things. He knows all about Jesus, You think about this, he knows that Jesus came to the world as the Messiah. Satan knows that. Satan knows that Jesus died on the cross. Why? Because he was there. Satan knows that uh, Jesus was buried in a tomb. Why? Because he was there. Satan knows that Jesus arose from the grave. Why? Because he was there. So Satan is is a theologian. But the difference between a demonic faith and true faith... Okay, is this. It's 18 inches. And you've probably heard this before. The difference between a person going to heaven or hell is 18 inches. And for some of you that don't know, you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is this is the difference between a, a head knowledge, okay, and a heart knowledge. All right, 18 inches. And there are some people, maybe in here today, who could pass a theological pop quiz, 
There are some people here today who could quote uh, scripture verses. Uh, these are people, there, you know, people here today maybe that have been in, in church their whole life. And yet they don't have true saving faith. Why? Because it's all been head knowledge and it hasn't translated to your heart. There's been no fundamental change in your life. And so these are all things that we have to, to think about in question. And you might be sitting here saying, but Daniel, I, I know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his own. I, I can quote that. And James says here, well, so what? The demons can. But, but Daniel, I, I know that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, James, so what? I mean, the demons believe that. Satan believes that. But, but, but I believe that, like, he died and, and he arose from the grave. And James shows us, you know, so do they. And it, it's, it's very interesting to think about this. But there's actually a faith that you can have in God. But it can be an unsaving faith. Right? There's a faith that you can have in God, but it's an unsaving faith. Now, that's the challenge for us in the South, right? Living in the Bible Belt and everyone's saved. And when we go out, it's a little more difficult to just go out and say, hey, uh, here's the gospel. Now, do you want to make a decision to receive Christ? People already think they're saved, right? Because they grew up in a Christian home or their Annie, whatever, was a preacher. And so we have all this, really our culture here in the South is that, you know, we're good. We're good with God. And so the difficult thing for us to do is we have to actually get them unsaved in a sense, okay? Or at least for them to acknowledge that, hey, I I am not saved. I I don't know the Lord. And then get them saved. And uh, again, you know, you're really not saved just because you're born into a Christian home. And sadly, what's happened in our culture is we've allowed people to give uh, kind of a carnal nod to biblical facts. And we pat them on the back and say, hey, you're saved. You know, you, you said the right words. You said the prayer. You're saved. Whatever you do for God afterwards, that really doesn't matter. You know, you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. Now, I'm not against a simple prayer to be saved. Because many of us in here have been saved that way, right? Through a simple prayer. But here's the thing. If you prayed a simple prayer and you haven't had any transformative change in your life after that prayer, and it's all been head knowledge and not a heart knowledge, then I would question whether or not you truly know the Lord, right? Do you really know Him? Uh, Because saving faith always leads to action. It always leads to life change. You don't work for this life change, obviously, to be saved. But from this change that you experience, you will work for God. Uh, it said this way, I like this, this quote. It says, It is faith alone that justifies, but a faith that justifies can never be alone because it is always accompanied by good works. Now, you may say, well, why are you belaboring the point here? Well, you know, I believe that many of us here have friends, we have family members, uh, we have daughters, sons, uh, husbands, wives, who would swear that they're a Christian because they said a prayer when they were seven. They would swear by, you know, I said a prayer at seven, I'm good with God. But the problem is, from the time they said a prayer, their life really looks no different, right? There's been no change. 
And I just think, you know, if the God of the universe, the creator God who created me, if he moves into your life, he's going to make a difference, right? There's going to be a change. And so our works should accompany our salvation. I think the challenge for many parents and different people is this. You may, be keep, you may keep begging your son or daughter to get back in church because, uh, you know, they said a prayer at seven and they're not going to church. And I think that may be the, the, the wrong assessment. Maybe the, the right assessment is that your child never knew Jesus to begin with, right? Because if they knew Christ, I believe that they would be compelled to, to want to worship and be compelled to read their Bible and be compelled to, to share their faith. Um, and so, parents, maybe you have to say, listen, Johnny, I know why you don't want to come to church. It's because you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And I think we need to quit uh, just focusing on, well, hey, he, you know, he got saved in vacation Bible school. But look at their life. If there's been no change, the reason that they're not currently working for the Lord may be because they've never truly known the Lord. So that, is this making sense? And so we have to ask these questions and, and think through some of these things. And so, um, so maybe we need to have a conversations with our kids. Hey, you need, to, you need to get saved. You have a head knowledge, but there's been no heart change. So James says that those two kinds of faith are unsaving. But then he gets to this final aspect of faith that I want us to look at, and it's a dynamic faith, okay? So number three, a dynamic faith. Uh, Look here in verse 20, all right, the next verse here in James chapter 2. The Bible says this, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Now, let me give you a, a disclaimer here. It's, it's difficult, I think, for our finite minds to comprehend these two things, okay, faith and works, and, and how they work together. Uh, but you have to understand, you know, and a lot of times, and, and this is what I'm learning more and more about, and it's kind of interesting, but, you know, when we read the Bible, obviously it's written to us, okay, but it was also written to a Jewish audience. And so I think a lot of times when we read Scripture, we have to sometimes think like a Jew and how we interpret some things. And so when we think about uh, the Eastern mind, I think about this. They, they think on two hands, okay? They think on two hands. And, and you say, what do you mean by that? For, for them, it can be both and, not either or. You see, I think for our Western mind, for our like American culture, we, um, we, we can't grasp that sometimes. It has to be one or the other. Right? It can't be both. And so there's always been a debate about this passage. You know, which is it? Is it faith and works? Well, it, it's both, right? But our minds, our, our minds don't really, really think that way. Um, and so they would, an Eastern mind would, would say this, okay? They would say, did God choose you or did you choose God? And what's the answer? Well, the answer is yes. Both. I believe both. It's not one or the other, right? I think, I believe God chooses us. We are his chosen people. God chooses us. But I believe that man has a responsibility as well that we have a choice to make and we choose Christ, right? And so our minds, though, don't really think that way. So works in faith, 
are a both and in the Christian life. The way I've understood it is this, and this, is, this has helped me actually uh, put this in the right perspective, but it was actually to change my perspective on salvation, okay, and what salvation even really means. And I think the whole term salvation has been hijacked. And, and, and we look at salvation differently than, I believe, the way God intended for us to look at it. Okay, so in our culture, salvation means, hey, you say a prayer so you can go to heaven, right? And what you do after that, is, it, it doesn't matter. Like salvation is just, hey, say this prayer because we want to go to heaven one day. But that was never what Jesus intended. In fact, you know, you'd be hard, it'd be hard to find in Scripture anywhere where, where you know, Jesus says, hey, repeat after me. You know, you're not going to find that. And this is what I see in Scripture. Jesus was more concerned about what they did today than what they'll experience tomorrow. Okay, so salvation isn't just us ejecting from heaven into this spiritual palace in the sky. Okay, yes, that's part of it. Okay, and that's the the part that we tend to focus on is, hey, you know, we get to go to heaven. And that's a great thing, right? That's That's a great perk for sure. But that's not salvation for Jesus, okay? Although it is a part of it one day. But most of the time, salvation for Jesus, when he talked about salvation, it was this. And and this really helps change our mindset about why we're saved. But salvation for Jesus was actually bringing heaven to earth through us, okay? And we see that all through the New Testament, that he was more concerned about the now and not the later. Uh, so Jesus never saved us to just sit in a seat and wait for the rapture and the role to be called up yonder. That was never what Jesus intended to happen, right? Jesus did not come just so you could go to heaven, uh, although that is a wonderful thing. Obviously, I believe that, but that's not why he saved you, okay? I do believe Jesus saved you to change the world. Okay, so that's a different perspective. Uh, Jesus actually saved you so that you would change the world. And so the question is this, where is your place in the Christian life and the kingdom of God? Because every believer has a place, right? And your job in life is to find your place in the kingdom of God. So that's what salvation is. It's not just getting out of earth, but it's actually bringing heaven to earth through us. So I want to give you two instances on how to understand faith, which I think will be helpful, okay? And I'm going to give you two scriptures and and one word that I think will unlock some things for us uh, in our understanding, okay? So Exodus chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, let's go there, uh, because I want you to see this. It'll be on the screen, but I want you to see this, this passage, okay, all the way back in the Old Testament. And I want to show you this Old Testament use for the word faith. Okay? So Jewish rabbis, they, they've said that when God would introduce a word in the Bible, okay, so when, when a word is introduced for the first time in Scripture, it really sets the tone for the definition of that word all throughout Scripture. Okay? It's called the rule of first use. And so we're going to see here in Exodus 17 the first usage of the word faith. And I want you to look for it, okay, as we read it. See if you can find it, okay? Let's play a little game here. See if you can find the word. 
So just to give this some context, they've just gotten out of Egypt. They've just come through the water. uh, And now they've got a battle with the Amalekites. And we see here in verse 10, all right, Exodus 17, verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. All right, so here's the question. Where's the word faith in that passage? Did you see it? Okay, that could be. All right, that's good. But I'm looking for one word. All right, well, we don't see the word faith. Okay, we don't actually see the word faith. But the Hebrew word for faith is, is here. Okay, and it's the word steady. Okay, at the end of verse 12. All right, did someone get that? Yeah? All right. So the word steady here. So um, his hands, the Bible says his hands were steady. Now, this is an interesting word. It it also means steadfastness. Uh, It means perseverance. And I love this this meaning because this this helps me so much. But it's actually the word faithfulness. Okay, faithfulness, this word steady. And so what it shows us is this faith is not some intellectual assent of understanding facts. Okay, that's not what faith is. So what's, what, what, what this sets the tone for is this, that faith is a belief that leads to action. Okay, so a better way, I think a better way to say this is that, you know how we use these, this expression, I have faith in Christ, like someone has faith in Christ, and that's not wrong to say. But I think a better way to say it is this, I have faithfulness in Christ. See, there's a difference. Like, not just I have faith in Christ, I have faithfulness in Christ. And uh, that's because my faith actually leads to action. It's not a one and done. And, and so what we hear a lot of times, just put your faith in Christ and, and you're good. You know, you don't have to do it the rest of your life. That's not what Jesus envisioned at all. Uh, you put your faith and trust in Christ at the beginning of your salvation, and then you put your faith and trust in Christ when? Every day, right? We're, we are trusting in Christ. Now, I understand that salvation is a moment, okay? We're not, again, we're not working for our salvation. What James is arguing here is that, hey, if you have saving faith, right, if you are truly saved, then that faith is going to work. You're going to see evidence of that faith, and you're going to trust for the rest of your life. So you're always trusting, and and Christ is giving you new opportunities to be more faithful. All right, here's another passage. We know this passage well, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we would agree with, with that verse, right, that we are not saved by our works. That my salvation has really nothing to do with me, and it has everything to do with God. And so we are saved by faith. It's not of ourselves, not of works. But what's interesting is verse 10, 
The Bible says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God saved you by faith, but he saved you to work. All right, that is your purpose. Now, I want to give you a word. And uh, this word has helped me think about faith uh, in, in, just a, in, in just a better, more clear way. And when you hear this word, I think it's, it's going to unlock some understanding for you. And so the, 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 the word faith in the context of the New Testament is another word for the word, is another word, um, allegiance. Okay, it's the word allegiance. Okay? Uh, there's a Bible scholar... And uh, I'm going to read a quote from him here in just, in just a moment. His name is, uh, let me see, Matthew Bates, okay? And uh, he's a biblical scholar. He studied the Greek language. And he actually found that, that in the context of Jesus' day, you could say this, I have salvation by allegiance alone. Now, why is that important? Uh, look at what he says here. Uh, or just listen, listen to it. I don't have it on the screen, but he says the Greek word pistis, okay, generally rendered faith or belief as it pertains to Christian salvation, quite simply has little correlation with faith or belief as these words are generally understood and used in contemporary Christian culture. So what he's saying is this, what, what we know to be faith and belief which is, you know, you just believe in these facts and you check all the boxes and, you know, I'm good with God. That's not what belief was back then. But he, said, he goes on to say, he says, it has much more to do with allegiance. In other words, to believe in Jesus was not just to have faith in him, but to be allegiant to him in every area of life, thereby being able to wholeheartedly declare, and I love this, Jesus is the king to whom I give my loyalty. All right, so that really opens, I love that perspective on the word faith. That my faith isn't just, well, I have faith in something, but my, I think a good word for it is allegiance, that my allegiance is to Christ, it's to the Lord. And uh, you see, allegiance is, is, is something you do in the past, but it has ongoing implications for the future of your Christian life. So what, what I'm trying to do is this. Instead of asking people, and I've asked people this all my life, basically, uh, this question, you know, was there a time in your life when you prayed to trust Christ as your Savior? Has there ever been a time in your life when you've done that? I'm trying to get away from asking that question and asking this question instead. What is God doing in your life right now? Right? Like, what is God doing in your life right now? And, uh, you know, there's, there's a difference there. Because, again, I think if the God of heaven indwelt you, he would be doing something in your life today. So the key to understanding this, this whole concept, though, uh, if you really break it down, is, is really this, the desire of one's heart. Uh, because I know some people will say, well, the natural question is this, it may come up. What about the thief on the cross? You know, what about him? He didn't do anything for the Lord, and he was saved. And I would say, yes, that is true. But the fact that he didn't have an opportunity to live out his faith does not negate the fact that he possessed this real faith. 
uh, he, he made this decision, but he never had the opportunity to live it out. And I believe this, if he had been taken down from the cross and, and lived, I believe he would have lived out his faith because he had a real faith, because that's what Jesus said. But here's the key. It's desire, okay? It's the motivation of the heart. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that I set my alarm uh, tomorrow morning for really early in the morning. And I, I get up, I go downstairs before anyone else is awake, and I just clean the house. Like, just, I mean, I really deep clean the house. I clean the, the ceiling fans, I clean the blinds, I clean the curtains, I mean, I vacuum, I mop, I do the dishes, I do the laundry, I do all these things. And then I fix breakfast, and I have breakfast on the table, and Leslie comes down, and she just looks around and says, wow, I mean, I can tell, like, why did you do this? And then I say to her, well, I'm glad you asked, because there's something that I really want to do today, or there's something that, you know, I really want to buy, right? Now, when I say those words, everything up to that point has kind of lost its meaning, right? Because I did it from a selfish motive. Because I, I did what I did, not for her. I did it really for myself, right? Now, let's say the same scenario. She comes down, sees it. Wow, this, why did you do this? And I say to her, because I love you. You know, you're a great mom. You're a great wife. I mean, you work so hard and you deserve this. That's different now, right? Because I have the right motive. I didn't do what I did because, for myself at all. I did it all for her, right? And so we see, we see that little scenario, okay? And I think about this. Some of you may be treating Jesus the way I treated my wife in the first scenario. You know, why, why did you pray to receive Christ? Was there, was there a selfish motive involved? You know, why, why did you pray to receive Christ? Were you, were you just afraid? And, and I understand that's, I'm not saying you can't be saved because of this. But were you saved just because you didn't want to go to hell? And you just want a home in heaven? And now you're thinking, well, that's taken care of. So now I don't really have to, you know, do much of anything. It doesn't matter what I do. Well, I, I would be very careful um, believing that. I, want, I wouldn't want to live my life uh, thinking about that. So we have to ask, okay, what, is our, what was our motive uh, when we trusted Christ as, as our Savior? Uh, because our salvation prayer should have nothing to do with us, but have everything to do with Him. Like, God, I have faith in You. I, my allegiance is to You. You are my master. You are the Lord of my life. I give my entire life to you. And you have reins of my life. You, you have complete control in my life. And some people, you know, you may ask them, do you want to serve the Lord? No. You know, do you want to worship Christ? No. Do you want to, you want to put Jesus in charge of your life? Not really. Do you want uh, Jesus to call the shots? No. I just want to go to heaven then I would say there's a strong possibility that you don't know the Lord. Okay, you don't know the Lord. Uh, because if you knew the Lord, then it would produce works in your life. 
So there's a possibility that some of you in here maybe have put your faith in an unsaving dead faith or an unsaving demonic faith. Why? Because your life is not proof of the decision that you made years ago. And here's the thing, and I don't know who you are. You know who you are. God knows who you are. Um, but I, I, want, I want you to really think about this question. Has there been a change by the decision that you have made? Has there really been a change in your life? If not, I would want to get that settled. And I'm not trying to guilt anyone into anything. I just want you to think about this. And, um, and I, I don't want you to just go to heaven, but I want you to serve the Lord with the time that you have here on this earth. All right, well, let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And I just want to ask you a few questions here. And uh, we're going to pray. And then um, if you want to talk to me afterwards, you can. Uh, I'm going to give some announcements uh, before we leave. But I want to ask you some things and then pray with you. So let me start here. Is, is, there, anyone, is there anyone here this morning who would say, Daniel, I, I really don't know if, if I've really trusted Christ as my Savior. I don't know that Christ has really made a change in my life. Uh, I've, never, I've never really put my faith in Him for salvation. Uh, if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out or anything. I just want to pray for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand? You say, Daniel, I don't, I don't think I know the Lord. I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. Anyone like that? Okay. All right, thank you. All right, well, let me ask you this. Um, maybe there's someone here who says, Daniel, I'm, I'm saved. I know the Lord. But I've never been scripturally baptized. I've never followed the Lord in baptism. I've never been obedient to him that way. And uh, you would say, I'm interested in learning more about baptism. Um, is, if that's you, would you raise your hand? Anyone like that? You say, maybe I need to get my baptism on the right side of my salvation. 